Welcome to Return of the Hack, the discussion series that brings you cyber stories behind the technology. I'm your host, Neil Langridge, and I'm joined today by Ronnie Tokazowski, Principal Threat Researcher at CoFence. Business email compromise is a common technique used by cybercriminals, but what's its origin and the stories behind it? We discuss the human cost of BEC, cybercrime and social engineering. Hi everybody, I'm Neil Langridge from E92+. Plus. Welcome to the latest edition of Return of the Hack, our video podcast series. So today I'm joined by Ronnie Tokazowski, who's a Principal Threat Advisor at CoFence. Hi Ronnie. Hey, how's it going? All good. Thank you very much. Thanks for thanks for joining us today. So the topic of today's conversation is we're talking around business email compromise, but in particular, a lot of the stories around it, getting a real better understanding of kind of where it comes from, scale of the threat, and also some of those kind of personal stories and really get in depth into not just the, the people behind them, but the, the tactics and the strategies and the approach and why this is such an effective uh, effective tactic for cyber criminals out there. So, Ron, if you want to give us a little bit of background as to what it is you do at Covent. Yeah, I'm happy to do that. And uh, thank you for having me on, Neil. Uh, so as you mentioned earlier, my name is uh, Ronnie Tokazowski. I'm a principal threat advisor here at a company called CoFence. Um, I specialize in business email compromise and trying to track all things that are related to that. Um, here at CoFence, I help raise awareness around uh, how the type of scam works. I collaborate with law enforcement, uh, both local and, and foreign. And in some, some of this stuff, I also do a lot of work with the private sector, too. Um, I've been tracking business BEC for the last seven years, and we have gone and covered all of the wonderful, fun topics, um, such as check fraud, money laundering, uh, romance scams, which is a really big piece that we see. Um, and that a lot of that includes understanding the emotional damages that go along with this um, and realizing and kind of t- helping inform people that business email compromise is not just some email that targets your company. It has a whole underlying ecosystem that is tied back to how it, that's tied back to a lot of different Nigerian fraud and other countries that are being hit too, or that are being used too. So the, the whole scale of BEC is obviously, you know, potentially a lot bigger than, as you say, just we think in terms oh, of yeah. some dodgy invoice scam. Yeah. And the scale I like to give is like, as I've been tracking this stuff for seven years, um, like I said, we, we initially started think, thinking this was just emails targeting a local government or targeting a local uh, company. But as we ballooned out there, we realized that this is actually, the, a lot of the stuff actually predates what we know as business email compromise. It overlaps with your traditional 419 scams and BEC was just a symptom where the scammers decided that they could go and target businesses. So with this type of crime, how we've, again, how we've been tracking it for like seven to eight years now as an industry, this stuff goes back 20, 30 years. Um, and it goes back to 419 scams that we used to see back in the 90s and check fraud, advanced fee fraud, uh, puppy scams that are, some of these are related. Um, and I could, I could list a whole laundry list of things that are tied, that are tied back to, that the, that the same actors are doing. But you just know that the, the scale is virtually unfathomable. Um, and for losses that we've seen right now, we know $43 billion has been lost to BEC alone. But the problem is we also know uh, $100 billion has been stolen from unemployment fraud. We know SBA fraud was uh, $7.6 billion or $76 billion. And when you have losses in that high, like we have enough deltas in there to know that we aren't tracking the whole thing. So we really, truly do not know the whole scale of this. Yeah. 
So if we kind of take a, a step back, because obviously BC has become quite a common term now, but, you know, using the term kind of, you know, the 419s, I've not, I've not really heard that for a while, but it's yeah. obviously that was a, a, a kind of big thing at, at the time. And obviously I think one of the things about BSC is we'll, we'll definitely uncover us. It's, it's not just about the technology. It is very much about the scam and the approach and the tactics. So if we kind of take that step back, kind of where did it start? Was it kind of those 419s kind of back in, the, which was basically kind of a, don't want to use it, a kind of good old fashioned con really in terms of yeah. is that kind of where where this kind of approach started yeah that, that's very much where the approach started and what we saw was in nigeria um once they started getting access to the internet and once they started getting computers and devices there was a culture where it was okay to scam people so they realized that they can go and trick people on the internet into doing things like wiring the money so that's where we had things like the uh, like, hey, you have this long lost relative that has $16 million here in Nigeria, give me $2,000 and I'll go ahead and, and you'll and you can unlock that money. And that was very much the roots of what we saw with business email compromise. Again, people don't realize that the um, but as it started, the scammers realized and adapted to the things that we did in the industry. So they went and they went from, okay, we can go and do this type of scam. And now there's online dating. Now we can go and engage back and forth with people who are looking for love and have those people start sending us money. And then as you had e-commerce grow, it became a place where people could go ahead and be sent fake checks. And then you had, that's where, that's where advanced fee fraud came from was, Hey, you are selling this product online, go cash this check. And, Oh, I'm sorry, it's $2,000 over, but you can go ahead and still use that. And then from there, once they, as they progress, they realize, Hey, businesses have to make a lot of money. Let's go target them. And that's kind of where we start. We, we picked up the, the torch on the BEC side. Was, and then as we progressed through that, we started realizing, wait, this is not a new phenomenon. This is something that's been going on for a very long time. And because it's been going on for so long, like we need, know, we need to understand a lot of how this goes. The hardest part with a lot of this is the current stigmas associated with it. I'll get brushed under the rug a lot of times. And it's like, oh, it's unimportant. It's not something we need to be concerned about. But when it comes to tracking the BEC stuff, like the losses that we're seeing right now, it's the number one cybercrime period. Like there is nothing else. Like you, we might have some stuff that gets hit with ransomware here and there. But at the end of the day, when you look at the losses, when you look at the emotional damage to the victims, when you start counting in the suicides, um, we have cases of voodoo and human sacrifices tied to this stuff. And it sounds like a conspiracy theory at this point, but it's something where, again, with how, with how many, how much loss of life we've actually seen on this, it's horrifying. It's absolutely and utterly horrifying. Yeah. And it gives a different perspective. I mean, obviously, mm -hmm. you know, when we talk about kind of cybercrime and, and, and ransomware and, you know, a lot of the, the things are kind of becoming increasingly important because bad actors are targeting kind of critical national infrastructure. And when we see ransomware being hit in the NHS, we begin to see that personal side of it. But I think it's been very easy for us as a cybersecurity industry. And then, you know, potentially kind of how we go out to market is it, it, it feels very impersonal. It's about computers. It's about mm -hmm. data. It's it, it's very dry and it's it's often very technical. And th that we don't necessarily kind of see the human impact or the collateral damage beyond us going. It's about people clicking on links, and that's where the, the kind of the victim blaming kind of stops there. In terms of mm -hmm. people shouldn't click on a link, people shouldn't do this, and it's it's the user blame. They're always associated, but but that's kind of as far as it goes. And but but all these things that you're asking kind of just terribly personal um mm -hmm. and and it, and it and it is really difficult it's, it's difficult enough for organizations to just talk about when they've been breached 
But I suppose it's that shame of people not wanting to talk about it when they've been hit. But that's kind of part of the technique, I suppose, because there is so much personal shame associated with it. Yeah. And there's, and in addition to that, not only do you have the shame of the emotion for the victims, you've also got a perspective where the people who are working this and who are tracking some of these things, um, again, there's a lot of stigmas associated. So a great example here, um, talking with many people who have been victimized by by romance scams. Um, one of the sentiments that we have is a lot of the people, law enforcement that will go and talk with them. They are um, demonized. They're treated horribly. They're a lot of the, I, the, a lot of the mindset right now is, oh, you're dumb. Oh, you're uneducated. You shouldn't have fallen for this. But after tracking this stuff for so long, like that could not be further from the truth. Many of the people that we see who get hit with this are well-educated. They have been successful in life. They have retirement funds. They, they were, again, they were successful all through their life. It's just, they don't understand how cybercrime works. And that pressure of, okay, you need to know how cybercrime works gets pushed onto them. Because you, you know that it's easy to blame the victim and as opposed to accepting another version of reality where it's like, oh, no, wait, there actually is more going on here. And when it comes to, like I said, when it comes to the emotional damage within the victims who are pulled into this, their emotions are all up and down. Like they're sitting there second guessing themselves. They're like, maybe I shouldn't click this. Maybe I should go ahead and send this money to my loved one. And again, it becomes this emotional turmoil for them and they don't know how to work through that. And when you have law enforcement that goes and says, you're an idiot, you shouldn't have fallen for this, when they're literally staring at pictures of their loved one that they were, that they were engaging with and when they've had, had, and they've been in that relationship for months or in many cases, years, like I've seen up to a decade on some of these things. Um, they've received flowers. They're sending, like I said, they're actually sending pictures in real time through text messages here. Um, it's completely, it's a completely different perspective that people just don't realize is there. So. And, and I suppose that level of sophistication, because obviously they are targeting people who have been, who are successful and are intelligent because they're the people, they're the, you know, the mark because, because they, they're potentially very lucrative in terms of the, mm -hmm. the reward. I mean, you're going to target people that you think are going to give you the biggest reward. The, the level yep. of sophistication, both on a technical level, obviously from a, a cyber perspective, but also the level of sophistication of the, the psychological management and 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 abuse and control has also kind of really kind of stepped up and developed i suppose because we have all become a little bit more aware we've become a little bit more savvy but we've become savvy in a certain way not in a way where the technology is combined with this kind of this psychological behavior as well yep and and very much to that becoming more savvy and stuff like i'll give a great example in nigeria so for some of the people who are learning out there, their mindset of using a computer is you use a computer to scam people. They're not thinking, oh, what can I go and create? What can I go make? What can I go and build? And their concept and understanding of, of a computer is literally, hey, this is what you, this is the tool you use to scam people. And that's very unfortunate is because you can go and do so many amazing things. You can go and make websites. You can go and develop this. You can go and develop that. You can share information instantly across the world. Like I remember growing up, one of the coolest things I had was talk, being able to talk with somebody in Egypt. And at the time I grew up on a barrier island in the middle of the water and being able to, and being there, being able to have instant connection to somebody literally halfway around the world and sharing concepts and ideas. Like it was absolutely fascinating to me. But like I said, it's something where for a lot of the people who are involved with this, they will, many of them, again, that's what, what they think of as using a computer is you can't use it to scam people. Um, or another perspective too, 
is that with the poverty that's in Nigeria, some of the people like truly have no other option. Like in order for them to survive and to live, they have to scam somebody. And that's the reality that many of these people face is you go scam somebody and steal money or you die. Like, like that's, that's the end of it is you don't, or you're starving. So. Yeah. And it's interesting to take a step back because unlike many other cybercrime kind of challenges or markets that we've talked about that are kind of global, but have their own specific areas and, you know, kind of the Russian market underground and the North Korea in terms of their approaches. And then the Brazilian market and all of these, they all have their cultural variations, but they're, but they're still kind of quite, quite global and there's mm -hmm. no distinct you know, kind of type that comes from one country. These sorts of approaches, starting with the 419 and then kind of expanding as they go, seem to be very specific to Nigeria. I mean, is there a reason mm -hmm. why it kind of, it started there and it still kind of retained that, retained that kind of center in, in that culture, in that, in that kind of community? Yeah, so, so I mentioned earlier that in Nigeria, you have a sense of like scamming culture where it's okay to scam people. And mm -hmm. like you, there's rap videos that have made, been made over the last decade or so where they'll say things like Magadan pay, AKA the victim will pay, or there's references where you be the Mugu, I be the master, being you be the fool, that if I can play a trick on you, then it's okay and it's free game. And that concept, it runs deep in Nigerian culture, but in the same breath, I wanna say that you've also got the youth that are now raising up from within. And what they're saying is that, no, we don't like this concept of scammers here. We want to do everything we can to go against that stigma. So you've got a lot of positive developments happening in Nigeria. Um, and it's good and refreshing to actually see that people are like, no, we don't want to be scammers. We want to go and actually make positive investments into the, into the, into the country. Um, one great example of that is when you go and look at the adopters, the adopters of Bitcoin, for example, one of the largest adopters of Bitcoin um, actually is Nigeria. And a lot of the reason for that is because of the centralized banking system it could be more, could work better. And one, you have scammers who are using that, don't get me wrong, but you've also got youth who are trying to create better opportunities for themselves by investing in the cryptocurrency, by buying and trading a lot of those currencies and by tracking that. And because of that, like I said, you've got people who are very much thinking differently out there and who want to get out of poverty and who want to make a better Nigeria. And like, frankly, that's the answer, just make a better Nigeria and start investing there. Yeah, and that's where that kind of rolled around, kind of education and investment in, in, in again, in people being able to give them the opportunity to be able to kind of step away from that is you know, kind of, you know, is that so key? So have we seen that kind of then begin to spread as there's been that pushback in, you know, in Nigeria, which kind of, you know, kind of where a lot of this originated from into kind of other countries? And have we seen that kind of evolve culturally to take different approaches because it's kind of come from different areas and they're different types, for example, in different, different countries where they, you know, different approaches tend to be kind of, you know, come more natural or have evolved. Oh yeah. Yeah. We, we've seen many countries that are getting involved this, in this now. So for example, Nigeria has scammers that are called Yahoo boys. Um, over in Ghana, you have scammers that are called Sakawa boys, which are essentially the scammers who are doing, who are doing similar type tactics. Um, I've heard stories from colleagues that there's some stuff down in Jamaica where scammers are doing stuff. Um, and they'll do things like say, Hey, I'm going to come and murder you unless you give me like $500. So they get really brazen out there. Um, we've seen stuff in Kenya, South Africa. We know that there are scammers out in, uh, Dubai. There's some, uh, some operating out in India. I'm like more on the tech support side there, but again, there's just some geographical locations there where some of the stuff works. Um, the unfortunate thing is like here in the States. We have scammers who are here on the ground, 
who also tie back to the Nigerian fraudsters who are doing some of this activity. So we know, and from what we've tracked, we know there are tendrils here in America, uh, Canada, down in Mexico. Um, I think we actually had one case where some stuff was down in Brazil. And like from IC3's perspective, we have victims in 177 countries of the 195 countries in the world. That's 90% of the globe. And yeah. when you look at it from that perspective, this is a global phenomenon that affects everybody. And it's something where it's like, we all have to come together to kind of work through that and realize, oh, no, wait, it's not just the U.S. seeing this stuff. It's not just the U.K. or, or Nigeria's stuff. It's everybody seeing it. Um, another area that we're, that we're also tracking, too, and aware of is a type of cybercrime called pig butchering. And what that is, is it's uh, also known as Shazupan, which is uh, mostly out like Malaysia, Thailand, uh, Myanmar, and Laos. Um, but with that, it's a flavor of romance scams where it's mixed with crypto investment scams. Right. And that will hit victims, that will hit the romance victims. But the unfortunate thing with that is that is literally human trafficking victims who are doing that type of scam. Um, so again, this kind of, yeah. And, and it's something where it's like absolutely mind blowing that you've got people who will go and literally hold people up to go and run these scams to go and hit more romance victims. Again, what it comes down to is a case of like hurt people hurting more people. And like with that, like I was, I was telling you before and before we came off on this, that we have one victim, uh, she's a $2.2 million in, uh, and is a cancer patient. And like these stories, I am not creative enough to make up. And we have dozens and dozens and hundreds of thousands of different stories like this where the human factor is some of the worst damage we have ever seen or that I've ever seen. So, yeah. And, and from a kind of technology perspective, kind of how far does, does that, does that extend? And, and obviously there's, there's always a mixture of technology and kind of the, the psychological and the social engineering, it kind of, where does it, where does it often start? Does it, does it start Are these victims kind of specifically chosen? Is there kind of a lot of recon? Is it from a technological perspective? Is it hitting as many people as possible, getting so far and then kind of playing percentages are there? What sort of kind of different approaches in terms of where this, where this begins? Because obviously, you know, the way to stop it ideally is obviously, you know, kind of before before it before it happens or before it gets too deep. Because because once people are in it, that's often the point when, as you were saying earlier, they don't talk to anybody about it. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so obviously, kind of prevention is key. So, kind of wh where do these things often start in terms of the process? Yeah, I would say what, when usually when people get in get involved in this. A lot of times they're usually feeling alone or like sad and depressed and they may have had like lost somebody in their life. And because of that feeling of loneliness, they want to go and find companionship. So they'll go on a dating website and try and find somebody. They'll converse back and forth with people just to look for a relationship. Um, we've seen cases where it will be as simple as a text, as a missed text message that says, hi, oh, I'm sorry, this is the wrong message. And it, and it goes from there. But a lot of people are susceptible to that. And when they're susceptible, they will go and try and build that relationship. And once they build that relationship and the scammer comes in and says, hey, how are you? Um, I love you. I want to go ahead and I'm also alone too. Let's try and make a life together. Your victim gets very excited because they have that slight glimmer. Hey, there is hope. There is something that we can kind of go forward and do this. And that's what we see in many of our victims is it starts from there where they were they were widowed, they were divorced. And from some of the statistics that we have from IC3, the prime demographic that gets hit with this is people who are 50 and older. And, bec and because of that, when you actually look at things from a psychological perspective for many of them, 
where they grew up. They grew up in the in the time of the Cold War, where it was difficult to talk about emotion, just kind of let things be. And if there was a glimmer of hope, awesome, we go all in on that and everything. Yeah. And be, and because of that, again, that's why we see some of these victims getting hit so hard um, because of that. Because of just the emotions, they really don't know how to work through their emotions. They don't know how to process it. Um, and in many times, because of that, they or they get, uh, they have crossed wires, if you will. Um, so one good example of that, again, I've, I've had this sentiment with uh, many victims here. Um, a lot of them will usually have like some gut intuition where they're like, hey, I wasn't, I sh maybe I shouldn't have done this, but they don't learn to listen to that gut instinct and that gut feeling of, hey, you don't need to do this. Um, I've heard that from multiple victims where they're like, hey, I, there was something wrong, but I kind of ignored that and kind of, and I got hit anyway. So. And, and I think also maybe a younger generation have kind of grown up with the, a, a lot of the languages we, we've talked about romance scams, but, you know, in terms of terms around kind of, you know, the, the email compromise and the phishing and catfishing, mm -hmm. kind of, that terminology is a little better known with a younger generation, yep. I suppose, are probably a little bit more tech savvy and, and aware of what can be done. Whereas I think maybe the older generation kind of, you know, we didn't grow up with that in quite the same way. And therefore, it, you know, it's kind of a little bit easier to kind of make excuses, say why your video is not working when you're joining or, you know, kind of using different images or adapting stuff. So I suppose it's, there's a real cultural um, demographic mm -hmm. that's targeted because of those, those background elements. Yeah, there, and there's very much that because like in, in some of the text messages I've read back and forth between the victims and the scammers, um, for some for the older generation many of them are in, are intimidated by the phone because again going back to that cold war area era you push one button and everything goes off um, yes. so I've, I've talked to my mother-in-law on this kind of and she's like yeah that's one of the reasons i'm scared on my phone um so you have a generation that is scared and intimidated by this new technology um you've got the younger generation who is more fluent in that so yes. they're more able to kind of see through those scams but also on this on the same breath um, I had one case where he had, where the individual, he was 22 years old. Yeah, I think it was 22 years old, received a text message from the CEO of the company wanting him to go buy some gift cards. And being his first job, one year out of college, he wanted to impress the boss. So he went and did everything that he could in order to work with that CEO. $30,000 later, $30,000 and six months later, um, it, he came to head and everything and realized, oh, wait, no, this wasn't the real person I was talking with. It was actually somebody else. Yes. So when it comes to these type of scams, like the scammers will hit anybody that they can. Um, and that's one of the biggest things here is that anybody is susceptible to this and they need to realize that it's not just the older generation. It's not just the younger generation. Like there are so many flavors of this that anybody can fall victim for this. Yeah. Um, another, another great example, we went to go buy a dog on Facebook, um, and with and you would be amazed at how difficult it was to find someone who was actually selling a dog, who wasn't a scammer, who wasn't saying go click this link or go buy this check. Like we had to go through eight different people, like like actual messages of people posting pictures of dogs before we actually found one legit. And even when we found the one legit, both of us were like, "Hey, this is very tense. We don't know if you're actually yeah. a scammer here." Again, it was for both for both parties. Um, and again, because of that, it's something where, again, anybody can fall victim to this because of how many different flavors of business email compromise, consumer fraud, check fraud, and all of these things there are.
Yeah. And I mean, you mentioned that, I mean, obviously people going and going buying pets is something that's kind of dramatically increased over COVID. And I, you know, I heard of, you mm -hmm. know, kind of friends and what have you of similar situations with pets because mm -hmm. it was so popular and, and prices went up and obviously value and opportunity went up. How, obviously, so many conversations about everything and, and changes and uh, kind of trends are affected by the last three years and COVID and everything that's happened. Did, have, we, have we also seen an increase and in a change in tactics around email compromise over those last few years? Because I would imagine a lot of people have that, that sense of isolation, um, mm -hmm. that sense of remoteness and missing community and, and, and lacking that connection in the same way. I imagine it represented a significant opportunity, unfortunately, for, the, for criminals. Yep, and and I forget where the number, where the statistic came out, but yeah, we've seen a huge increase in people feeling alone, isolated, just because of the pandemic and everything. And because of that, they um, they're more again more susceptible to these type of these type of scams. Um, and with that isolation, like I said, you've got people who are hit with the romance scams and all that. And because they're so in and isolated, like they will literally push themselves off in order to kind of um, continue staying in it and not realize it. Yeah, and I, I suppose in terms of where we're where we're where we're seeing that going and and evolving, I mean, it's obviously working. Ultimately, cyber criminals will carry on doing these things while they can see success. But what kind of are you seeing? Kind of more trends now beginning to start in terms of how they be, how, how they evolve that, or is it is it kind of still those kind of standard things that we've all talked about? They're still working, and unfortunately, you know, paying off for them. It, it's from what we've seen, they will shift tactics a little bit. But it's the number one crime period. You have hundreds of thousands of people who are doing this. We've had a couple thousand arrests, which is great. But at the end of the day, they're still successful. They're still able to do it. Um, one pivot that we do see is like if or if governments come out with things like um, unemployment funds or COVID funds, the scammers will gravitate towards that for a bit and then come back over. Yeah. Um, and the way that the analogy I like to give on that is imagine like a toolbox, if you will, where you might have this scam of doing your romance scam you might be good at doing check scams you might be doing good at doing bec and they will learn and reflect back on those past experiences in order to go and do these new type of scams um and like i said with um with the sba fraud and the unemployment fraud that we saw here in the united states um i think between the two of those it was something like 176 billion dollars that went out to scammers alone and it wasn't just nigerian scammers doing that too we actually, there was actually a report that came out yesterday where it was um, advanced persistent threat attackers who were previously tasked with um, breaking into the United States government. They are now, some of them actually went after COVID relief funds too. And it's something where once that stuff came up, it was a heyday for everybody. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, again, if there's money available, then obviously they're going to going to shift tactics. So, in, mm -hmm. in terms of how we begin to kind of address and challenge these problems, obviously there is, you know, th there is a difference between consumer and business. And obviously, the advantage of businesses is, you know, they do have, uh, you know, they often have IT teams that have partners that have MSPs that are helping look after them, and they have a range of software kind of techniques and and, and hardware and, and services approach available to them. Whereas individuals are a little bit kind of on their own, but I would imagine still the principles of how we defend against them are the same. What kind of practical steps can we all start looking at in terms of in terms of helping people? Because I think, you know, as a as a as a as a community, the InfoSec community have a responsibility to to not just deal with the things we should do to to keep the bad guys out of businesses, but actually kind of help people in the in the wider perspective. Um, you know, just education I imagine is the is the first step in all of this. 
Yeah, education and awareness is key because, again, people aren't aware that, hey, this is how this stuff works, and they really need to be educated on that. Um, the second thing that I've learned with working with a lot of romance victims and just observations in general, no one knows how their emotions work. People will go and have past experiences where they might have some past trauma that they're holding on to that they don't know how to let go of. Yes. But with a lot of the victims who are pulled into this, they will have, they're kind of living on that false sense of hope. Um, and also with a lot of the romance victims too, um, helping them learn their own emotions. Um, there's a lot of uh, research around meditation, breath work, mindfulness. And I know for me, that has helped me immensely. Like, I, I, can't even put, I can't even put a number on it without how much it's helped. Um, so some simple things like that, that people try to overthink, then you need to realize, oh, hey, it's actually much easier to work through some of that stuff. Um, and that's one of the biggest things, again, I've seen with romance victims is that they would so benefit from learning how to just do some of that stuff to kind of help their own bodies calm down. Um, and then the final piece on that is being able to have established processes for when money gets sent out. How do you handle that? Do you have to, if somebody sends you an email from outside, do you just blindly wire the money or do you have to get some checks and verifications before doing that? Yep. Um, because we see payroll diversion attacks, whereas people will say, hey, go and update my payroll and people will blindly update that or go buy a gift card. People blindly do that. Um, don't do that. <laughs> so yeah. it's again, it's just with how this stuff works, you got to, again, you got to know, hey, here's how these scams work. Here's how a lot of this stuff operates. Once you figure out and learn how it goes, you can go from there. So. Yeah. But in, in all of these examples that you're given, there is technology involved and there are third parties involved. Nothing's ever in isolation. So on the romance scams, it often starts on, on dating apps because that's a way to be able to obviously target people who are obviously kind of almost mark themselves up as being potential with the government in terms of, you know, the kind of COVID relief funds. Um, you know, that's going to be a, a kind of area where they're going to be sending out communications or with the bank in terms of making those payment um transfers that are going out. What else can organizations do in terms of being able to start playing a role and, and you know, having an element of responsibility to, to help protect people? Yeah, so there are there are technical solutions for some of this stuff, but when it comes to business email compromise, it's really hard um, because you, again, at the scale that these scammers are operating at, you've got some scammers like Emotet or like trick, the TrickBots where they'll go and send out automated phishing campaigns and you can figure that stuff out programmatically and know what to look for. The problem with BEC is many of these attacks are all meat powered is you have a human on the other end. And from some of our research that we've conducted, when I say there's a human on the other end, you have somebody who is literally copy pasting every single day in order to go and try and send phishing emails back and forth to, to companies. So the scale that they're operating at is how quickly kind of copy paste and move from there not I'm going to throw this into an automated phishing attack and send my emails from there. Um, there are some times where you'll have templates overlapping, but from the technical perspective to actually detect some of these things, you have no malware, you have no payload, you have no link. So that bypasses 90% of your technical solutions right there. Yeah. And in addition to that, you have scammers who will go and just make free email accounts or compromise an email box. So if you're trying to look at it from like an SPF perspective, or like trying to do it from the email protection perspective, it gets really hard to even detect it at that perspective. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of why I recommend, hey, you need to raise awareness around this stuff because there are some technical solutions for this and there are some technical things out there that can be used to help stop BEC. You can detect some of the things around wording and verbiage, but at the end of the day, it's a human problem that you need to kind of help teach people and not be 
for lack of a better word, not be jerks to, to your victims who are being targeted here. Because again, at the end of the day, we're all human and we all make mistakes. And that's just part of the human condition. So being able and being willing to admit that as a company and say, hey, here's what to look out for. If you see something, say something. And if you saw something, great. Thanks for thanks for helping us out. So. Yeah. I think you almost it, it, almost the case of actually, as well as having kind of, you know, InfoSec and cyber teams, we actually need kind of almost social engineering teams within that in terms of mm-hmm. you know, in terms of whether it's in the bank and is the dating act, it's in the government. It's kind of all of those communications that kind of go out. They're constantly, you know, kind of explaining what they're doing. There's an element of, element of verification that goes in there um, mm-hmm. and referral back to those sorts of kind of support structures that you've talked about. They're actually so helpful to kind of, you know, to all of us in terms of kind of reassurance and, and making sure that we're in the right places. Is that the kind of that next step of, of there? There have been so many advances around around technology from, a, you know, both in terms of bad and both in terms of from good. And then that kind of middle ground. And, you know, we're, we're seeing that, you know, the stuff around open AI and stuff at the moment, which is mm. kind of quite terrifying. And I would imagine is definitely going to kind of unfortunately be used by the bad guys. Is it finding that middle ground in between technology and people where we need teams that are kind of just more dedicated to this in terms of outreach and education and, and engagement? Yep, very much so. And it, it's, a, it's a combination of um, social engineering on a massive scale that people just, again, aren't aware of. Um, and it's funny that you mentioned OpenAI because I was actually playing with that this half earlier today yeah. and put it, punching some like little things like, hey, what's uh, how do you solve BEC? What are the, write me two paragraphs about how BEC works. Um, it's accurate. It's really, really yeah. accurate. Um, or like write a biography about myself. Like that, so again, it's not 100%, but with how, but if worded right and done right, there's a lot of stuff that you can do with that. So it's uh, the AI is definitely interesting. It's definitely an interesting angle that we've seen some uh, scammers experiment with, but hopefully we don't see them uh, widely adopted. No, um, I mean on you know on that I've seen other people doing that, doing some testing on asking it to write a phishing email. And being honest, its phishing emails are pretty good. Um, I mean, that's the mm-hmm. that's the any part of this technology that's powerful enough like that is going to get used for used for bad, unfortunately, kind of rather the rather than good. And then, is there a role that organisations and employers can, can play? Because obviously, part of what of this is protecting themselves. It's a, a selfish mm-hmm. element of they don't want people to fall victim to to BC in terms of like you know supply chain fraud and bank credits and the transfers and the, the gift cards and things you mentioned. But also in terms of educating their workforce so they don't get pulled victim uh, as well that that challenge around employee education we've all seen phishing emails testing we've all seen it done really badly over you know not just that but especially over covid mm-hmm. there, there definitely seems a problem in terms of how well um, organizations try and educate their workforce it seems there's a lot more stick than carrot so how can organizations evolve in terms of doing a better job, not just to protect themselves and their, 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 their commercial interests, but also their employees as individuals as well? I would say treat the, and again, this is going to sound, uh, sound like an odd perspective here, but have, treat your employees like people. And they're not just some random checkbox of, hey, this person is doing work for me and making me money. Like yeah. at the end of the day, they're people, they have families, they have struggles, they have things that they're concerned about. And, that's one of the places where I see a lot of like user registering fail is they don't account for that or they make it so broad that anybody can pick up on it. But at the end of the day, the scammers are saying, Hey, 
use this, you receive the package. They're saying, hey, I know you're here in the office, go and do this urgent transfer for me. And when they go, when scammers go and do that, they make it where it's, again, they're, they're totally playing on the emotions here. Yeah. And with the scammers who know how to do that, it's something where they need, organizations need to realize that because scammers are playing on those emotions, your employees don't know how to calm that down in a lot of cases. So when yes. they're super stressed and worked out, oh, I need to go get this, I need to go get this gift card for my for my CEO or else I'm gonna get fired. Like that's literally what goes through many of these victims' heads is, or like in the case with, with a scam where, the, where it was the college kid, the guy who was fresh out of college, with him, we saw it was one of those cases where he, again, he wanted to impress his boss because first place out of college, he wanted yeah. to go do impress his boss any single person listening to this right now obviously wants to impress their boss and do what they can to impress their boss and make them happy. That's how we, that's how we all operate. And if our boss is unhappy with us, we're like, we're feeling like, oh, we're going to get fired. We're going to do this. Something bad's going to happen. And at the end of the day, like I said, that's something with this, again, this is just a human condition here. And a lot of the people and companies who are listening to this, they need to realize that, hey, you need to treat your employees like people. And once you start doing that, a lot of things fall into place and their your employees are much happier and want to operate more. Yeah. And have you got a kind of examples of where that, you know, those sorts of employee education and, and awareness and, and engagement kind of programs have worked? There's certain kind of examples of things that companies can do to that, that kind of just that, that, that take that step further to be able to really get people on board and, and, and you know, properly, uh, you know, properly engage and actually really start taking it, taking it on board. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 100 percent, 100 percent. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then in, in terms of just kind of beginning to kind of, you know, kind of wrap up, I, I think it'd be good to kind of finish on some, some positives, um, in terms of, you know, in terms of this, cause it's, it's, it's a really challenging, challenging topic. Where are you seeing some kind of, some, some improvements, some developments in terms of where, where things are going and, you know, where we're beginning to, to, to win some of these battles. So some of the wins that we're seeing is there's been a ton of awareness around this. So we've seen, we, again, years ago, it went from, hey, no one was tracking this. Hey, we actually are starting to understand this. Um, I've seen law enforcement collaborating, which if uh, for a lot of people like that, it's like, oh, there's usually not much collaboration. But no, law enforcement has been doing a really good job on a lot of these cases. Um, we've seen arrests. We've seen global awareness campaigns. I know Interpol every year, they usually do a uh, be careful campaign to try to, again, raise awareness around this. So you have a lot of organizations and institutions that are doing their best to kind of come together in order to start fighting this. In addition to that, we've also got cases, um, like I mentioned earlier, in Nigeria, where you have organizations that are starting to stand up to try and make a difference. Um, one of the groups I'm involved with is called uh, Future Labs, where they do they help teach a lot of the youth out there how the right way to use computers. And I think they've had like 20 or 50 people come through there. Um, but again, because of the way that that's worked in Nigeria, it's now giving people an opportunity to go and not only succeed, but to be able to go and have a positive future on that. Um, and that's, I think a lot of people need to realize is that we're starting to move in the right path, but it's going to take a lot of work to kind of get, uh, to get on that right path, if you will. Yeah. Okay. And then for, for, for kind of, you know, as a kind of, if anybody kind of listening to this has that kind of role, either within a, within a kind of channel partner or a consultancy or an end user organization, what would be the, what would be the first thing that they would, they would do tomorrow in their organization to try and make a, a positive change? Cause it's all small steps. We can't go in and kind of mm. change everything straight away. What would be the kind of first thing you'd say someone can, can go in tomorrow and do? Uh, step one, I wish I had magic wand to go like this and yeah. actually make it all change, but we don't. 
Rule on wishes is you can't have lots more wishes. That's it. Oh, I know. Yeah, yeah. Um, but but in all but in all honesty, the the first thing I would I would say for people who are listening to this who want to make that positive change, review your processes, understand yeah. how money is sent within your organization, find places that. And, and under, again, understand that process. Most people don't understand how money is sent. Most people don't realize that when a purchase order happens, here's the steps and the people in finance who have to actually sign off on that. Yeah. Um, those are the departments that we see that get hit the hardest in cases where you might have a vendor email compromise where someone says, hey, make this payment for $130,000 from this vendor and you blindly pay it. Um, and by establishing processes that make you know, okay, how much money needs to be sent, what needs to be verified, what checks does it have to go through to help verify that this actually was who they are, even though they may say, hey, we do have this monthly payment and this or this quarterly payment, um, go ahead and pay it. Like, what are what does that look like? Yeah. And once you're able to identify that and, again, establish that process and know, hey, here's the people who need to be talked to or who will more than likely be targeted with this type of things, um, have the open dialogue with them. And if they have something where they see something weird, be like, hey, here, I'll work with you in order to understand, like, what you're saying. And by doing that, again, it kind of opens that, it brings it back to the human and kind of puts it, it makes that open dialogue where you can kind of work together on stuff. Yeah. Okay. That's absolutely brilliant. Well, I really appreciate your time. It's been absolutely fascinating. Ronnie, thank you very much. Yep. Thank you. And thanks, everyone, for listening. Thank you.